0: So I'm going to start with a, a quick story this morning. Uh, <clears throat> so let's jump in with a story. One evening, an old Cherokee Indian told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority. Lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then looked to his grandfather and asked this question, which wolf wins? The old Cherokee grandfather simply replied, the one you feed. We see this idea of two different wolves in many different areas of our life. Recently, uh, REI, many of you know the, uh, the, the large store throughout uh, the United States, REI announced that they were going to decide to close all of their stores on Black Friday. Who heard this? Yeah? Okay, so yeah, we applaud that because it's cool. Black Friday, traditionally, I think, like the biggest day in terms of sales and all that kind of stuff uh, throughout the year. It's the day where they could make probably the most money in one single day, but they decided to close their stores on Black Friday. This kind of speaks to this idea of two different wolves, right? The first wolf would say, stay open. Be open on Black Friday at all costs. In fact, offer sales and deals so much so that people would trample each other to get their hands on your merchandise. It would say, uh, do whatever you need to do to move that tent, to move that new sleeping bag, but stay open at all costs. This is the wolf that cares about profits, about margins, about capital, about shareholders, about expansion. The other wolf would say, as a business that espouses sustainability, simplicity, and outdoor recreation, maybe, You should close your stores on Black Friday. Care for your employees. Allow them an additional day off. This would be the wolf that cares about its employees, that's concerned with being consistent with its message, is seeking to cultivate a deeper love of the outdoors and its customers. This is the wolf that values more than just money. REI decided to be countercultural this year by feeding the wolf that often gets dismissed in light of maximizing profit and growth in business, right? How many people have ever felt this tension of the two different wolves in their life? Like there's almost two sides, two halves of us, two different people that are polar opposite and sometimes cannot be reconciled. The ending of the proverb is obviously the crux of the story, that the one that wins, the wolf that wins, is the one That is fed. Each wolf is present. You choose which one is sustained. Which one gets nourished. The more you feed it, the more it begins to dominate. The more it becomes the lens with which you see the world. The more likely it is that the other half is displaced and you find yourself operating in a new reality. This morning is going to be about wolves. Not really, but kind of. Although uh, that story is really about human personality, we believe this kind of Cherokee proverb sheds light on maybe how we could understand church as well. Just like there are two types of wolves, we believe that there are many types of churches in this world. Now let me pause here for a moment, because I want you to hear this right in the beginning, that we are not trying to communicate that one type of church is evil while the other is good. We're not even trying to communicate that one is better than the other. What we will argue this morning is that each is different, each is unique, and each wolf has its place in the kingdom, and like the proverb teaches us, each will grow if they are fed.
1: We want to look at the church a little bit like a wolf this morning. I know that uh, the scriptures say that God is sending us out like sheep among wolves. So the metaphor kind of breaks down right there. But just kind of play along with us for a morning, this morning, indulge just a little bit, right? Uh, that we want to look at this idea of that what are we as a church and what are we feeding? What do we believe in? What are the values that really matter to us? We're building off of last week, if you were here, talking about this is what God has been doing in our midst over the last eight years. And our dream is to continue to see him work and move and and invite change in this community, in this city over the next years, right? And so the question becomes, what does it really look like to be that kind of wolf, that kind of church? And uh, the point Kevin is making is that we're always feeding something, right? You're always feeding, uh, whether it's in your own life, you're either feeding self-doubt that you might have, issues internally that you're questioning who you are, whether you're worthy enough, or you're feeding That part of you that's about hope and belief, right? It doesn't matter what side you're feeding, but whatever side you are feeding wins, right? And that's why it does matter. It matters what kind of church we are becoming as a community. And I want to show how this kind of plays out maybe in the understanding of an organization of a church or the ethos of a church. So I want you to answer this question for me this morning. Uh, it's going to be on the screen, and just shout out different answers. Uh, we'll just kind of make a mental list, and then I, I created a little list of my own as well. So here's the question. When you think of the church in the traditional sense, what are descriptors or activities or ways that you would describe the church? Just shout them out. Steeple. Good. A building. Sunday meetings. Sunday meetings. Good. City center. Good. Jesus on the cross. Is that what you said? Yeah? Good. Long. (laughs) Yes. Organ music. Potlucks. potlucks. Yeah. I thought they said hot dogs. No. (laughs) Makes no sense. You can bring those to (laughs) the potluck. Others. Two at once and I'm not very good at hearing Say again. Hymns. Hymns. People. People. Any other descriptors come to mind of the church? Ceremony. Ceremony. Bride of Christ. Bride of Christ. Bride. Good. Committees. Committees. <laughs> Liturgy. Liturgy. Latin. What did you say? Latin. 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 Okay. Rule. Rules. Rules. Good. Any others come to mind? Place of belonging. Coffee. Coffee. (laughs) We could, uh, I'm sure, continue to list the descriptors of what we understand or would naturally gravitate toward as it relates to the church or our understanding of the church. I uh, tried to create a little bit of a list as well this week. And I want to show what I would say is part of the difference between... The way that I grew up maybe understanding the church or ways in which we might understand the traditional sense of the church. And then ways in which we at New Community have tried to imagine or reimagine what the church looks like. So here's a little bit of my list. We often hear of the church as a building. The first thing that was mentioned was steeple, right? As a location, a place. And we see the church rather as a people, that we ourselves are the church. You will hear us talk about that quite often. Uh, I've used the illustration often that uh, my, my son or my daughter would describe that we're going to church and we would just continually correct them to the point where now they correct other people. We, we did not intend that, but like, okay, like, hey, we should go to church. And like, we're already there. This is the church. You mean the building? Yeah, we'll see you there, right? And so that's this idea that we, the people, are the church. A second one, a lot of times when the church is mentioned, the staff is mentioned, or a pastor is mentioned, and we would argue that the church really is a community of ministers and missionaries with pastors as coaches. Really, coaches are intended to encourage, support, teach, instruct, build into the life of the people so that the people actually are the ones doing ministry and doing mission in our city, and that's how we view it that it's not a uh, staff-driven, but rather a people-driven community. Uh, Others will mention the congregation or uh, the group that's gathered. We see not a group gathered, but we see participants, whether that's on a Sunday morning by the number of people we seek to participate or the fact that almost in every service we try to have a means in which you participate, whether that's participating through taking communion participating by sharing responses, by having discussion with one another, by engaging in a time of prayer. The idea is that you're not just here to sit. You're not just here to listen. You're here to participate. Not just on a Sunday morning, but also throughout the week. We also uh, understand often the church as services or liturgy or singing or sermon. But we see gatherings on Sunday to be opportunities for equipping and encouraging. Our hope and goal is that you walk out encouraged to go back and do mission, and equipped to do that more effectively, whether through hearing something here that you then discuss in group, or being challenged in a way that God continues to work in your life throughout the week. That's our hope on a particular Sunday. Um, Others will view kind of the church as we invite people to come to this space, to this place, and we would say that it's going, it's not inviting, that it's actually being the people who are going. Continually in a state of going, very much like Christ said, right? He's called all of us, go and make disciples. Not invite them to come or not come to a place, but rather be about something. Uh, Often when you hear the church, you think missions or foreign missions, right? We would argue that missions is local first and foreign, that it's a both and. If we ever lose sight of the fact that mission begins here, then I think we cease to understand the way the church is supposed to exist. It's not just an out there where we send people. All of us are sent here and there, right? Um, also, I, I think Austin in the back said rules-based, right? And we would look at it through values as opposed to rules. Values speak to this identity of who we want to be. And it speaks to us being people of generosity and hospitality. And the, the question isn't like, How many people do you need to have over in one week to be hospitable and therefore to match the standard that God requires of you, right? But rather, how do we lean more into being people of hospitality, being people who are learning and growing and being on mission? What does it look like to live into those values in really tangible ways? A couple others. Church is often viewed as top-down leadership, and we talked about this a little bit last week, that shared leadership in a plurality of elders all of the scriptures teach to this idea of elders being plural I learned early on in English when you put an S on the end of the word it like means more than just one person right and so we try to live into that we really believe that there's a plurality of leaders whether that's leaders small group leaders whether that's elders whether that's staff members uh, that all of us are kind of in that role of leadership and there's a plurality of voices and gifts and talents being used. Last but not least, uh, often church, when I grew up, it was like Sunday school classes and programs equaled learning. And I think maybe a a different way of understanding it is that learning is action, right? And knowledge, but action first. That, That if you want to say you actually know something, to know is to do. To know is to be involved, to pursue something. Not just to cognitively tuck it away and say, yeah, I knew that fact. But to have that fact motivate you toward something is what it means to be learning. So you get this idea that um, there's a list of the way that we could understand church and then the way in which new community understands church. And we're not just showing the list to try to be contrarian in some way, right? The goal of this morning and us describing these two different wolves is not to say that we're just trying to have a mission that's to be the exact opposite of what we traditionally know the church to be. To have that as our mission would be pretty um, non-inspiring over the long term, right? That doesn't motivate. That doesn't encourage us to move forward in in any sense of of the idea. But I think what we're trying to communicate is this idea that we hold certain values as a community and those values express themselves in these particular ways. So our hope is to lean into those expressions of the values and what happens often when we lean into them is they're in a counterintuitive way to the way that many of us grew up understanding the church. It's not, again, because our motivation is to be different, but rather our motivation is to authentically pursue who we believe God has invited us and called us to be, and that tends to look a little bit different than the way we traditionally understand the church so when we think about the church, when we think about new community, we don't think and imagine and dream. We don't sit around in staff meetings or times together and think, man, what would it look like to have a bigger building, to have more programs, to have more lights, to, to have more heat in this space, to have whatever. Like, we're, we don't imagine those things, right? We, we don't talk about these, these big ideas related to more people coming and bigger services and more programs. That, like, never really enters the conversation because what enters the conversation is more the question of what are we really called to do, right? And so often we imagine, and I'll go a step further, we imagine new community not just about those things and not just about the idea of of being a ministry that has accomplished what it has over the last 20 plus years. But we look at what we've accomplished, and this is probably a, na- a little bit of the nature of some of the people that are in leadership in our community, that, that we're really not satisfied. We, we look back on last week and we go, man, God did some amazing things over those last eight years, over the last 20 plus years. And we can go, man, that, that's been awesome. We're so excited. And then we quickly go, yeah, that's great. Where are we going? Where are we headed? What are we doing next? And it isn't just because of this um, sense of like past accomplishments, we don't care what God did, we we just want to move forward, but rather, we, we imagine more. And if you look at the scriptures, how can you not imagine more, right? How can you not? I mean, Paul says that Christ's love compels us. What is it compelling us to? It doesn't compel us just to something that already happened, but what already happened compels us to do something into the future. That Christ speaks to this idea that the fields are ripe for harvest. What is He communicating? That great things have happened, yet there are many more things to be accomplished. That He Himself, while on earth, was looking around saying, it's not finished, we're not even close, we're not where we want to be, we're not, we, we have not reached even close to the capacity of what we believe that we're supposed to be doing. And I would echo those same things, that Jesus' mission is to those who are hurt and lost and overlooked and neglected, and he continues to invite us to pursue those things. Uh, To stick with our metaphor, the wolf continues to be hungry, right? It wants to continue to feed. It wants to continue to grow. And here's some ways that even as we talk this week, that we kept, uh, these kept coming up. One of them is this, that you realize that on any given Sunday, 10% or less of the entire Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, metro area goes to church on a given Sunday. 10% or less. That, to put it in perspective, that means more people run on Bloomsday each year than are in service on a typical Sunday. Now, I'm not satisfied with that. None of us should be satisfied with that. It should motivate us to say what more can be done. Roughly, we would guess, roughly about 50% of this community is in small groups, really sharing life, whether it's an accountability group, whether it's a, a new community group, whether it's a college small group, whether it's an inner varsity or campus crew, whatever. About 50%. We would go, man, 50%. National average, that's crushing it. And we would go, yeah, we're about 50% short of what we're hoping for, right? That everybody should be living into authentic community in real, tangible ways. We would say that every person that sits here has been given gifts and attributes and qualities that must be expressed within the city. That you have talents and abilities that God is waiting for you to employ in this city, right? And... Unless everyone is doing that, then our job's not finished yet. Unless everyone is engaged in a meaningful ministry within the spheres of influence you have, then we would say our job as coaches isn't done. We've got to continue to pursue something. We would also say that as long as there are people that are overlooked and oppressed and lonely and pushed to the margins in our city, then there's still work to be done. You get the idea. We're not by any stretch of the imagination, finished. And as we started kind of dreaming about what are some of the things that we see God calling us to as a church over the next few years, here's some of the phrases that kind of came to our mind that we put down as descriptors of that. All right, We'll go one at a time. We'll move through these quick. We see new community as more than a church that gathers on Sundays and offers programs, but as a people on mission bringing change to our city, right? We will be judged. New community will be judged by our influence and our impact on the city. Not by the number of people that come on a Sunday. Not by the number of small groups that we have. Not by uh, any other typical metric that the church often uses. We use the metric of what influence is actually happening in our city. And if... For some reason, God decided that tomorrow new community would no longer exist. The question has to be asked, would our city miss it? Would there be any drop-off in ministry and effect and impact in the lives of people in our city? And if so, good. If not, then we're not really pursuing what we believe we're called to. The second, we see Newcom as a community networked together through vibrant and authentic smaller communities meeting throughout the week. Again, the idea behind this is that we will push everything through group. That spiritual formation and mission and discipleship and relationship and friendship all of that happens best in small groups and so we will continue to drive this community forward into group. New Community sees training and coaching hub for church planters, nonprofit leaders and business entrepreneurs. This is something that over the last uh, 8 years has grown dramatically in our community. Whether it's sending out three church plants in the last five or whether it's the 2 nonprofits that have started in the last eight. But we just recently uh, even signed on for a two-year grant with the Murdoch Foundation in which we will be a hub for business entrepreneurs, startups, uh, for people who are saying, I want to begin business as mission. I mean, God is opening a ton of doors for us in that area and we want to continue to pursue that. And uh, so this is just another way in which we believe we're leaning into mission. We see our intern and resident program growing to include intentional living communities. We see the number of leaders sent out from Newcom doubling in the next five years. If you look over the last like five years or so, over 100 people, whether in internship, whether on staff and then being sent, whether in this community and then going to lead another church or a ministry elsewhere, um, really, hundred, more than a hundred. And we see that doubling within the next five years. We see God creating in this space a, a bit of a training place, right, where we give people the opportunity to succeed and fail in the midst of a community that's beautiful and encourages risk. And that, that grows leadership, and we want to see that continue. Um, in terms of intentional living community, one of our dreams is to have a house Located in a neighborhood in which residents and interns live and impact the city. And there's more and more of those dreams related to leadership. Uh, We we see a staff, uh, group leaders and elders involved in multiple ventures in the city. Seeking to model an importance on the other six days of the week. Sunday, very important. Sabbath, super necessary. But it is to drive us and give us rest and give us energy to be God's people the other six days of the week. And the more we can venture into redeeming the workplace, redeeming our neighborhoods, the more effective we will be. We see those who have called New Community Home as a backbone of ministry in the city by giving vision, resources, and passion into other tangible expressions of the kingdom in our city. Guys, you realize that you are the backbone to so many ministries in this city. Whether it's through the resources that you give, whether it's through the time and effort and energy, some of you, the vision, some of you are leading crazy, amazing ministry in this city, and we believe in you and believe in what you're doing, and we see what your work is so significant. Last one, we see our Sunday gathering as a place where we wrestle with the difficulties of life and the beautiful complexity of Scripture. We see a deep theology lived in authentic ways that inspires people to take risks and chase after the kingdom. This is just a small list of things that we continue to dream about, that we've continued to add to this like, folder of like what if we could, and what if we could, right? And our hope is to continue to lean into those. So I'm not usually this guy, but man, if we could
0: be this church, how cool would that be? Can I get an amen on that? That's amen. not the guy I usually am, but... Uh, But even, I mean, I've looked at these several times over the course of the week in preparation, and hearing those things spoken out, man, it could be exciting. What uh, what, uh, Russ painted was a picture of the unique wolf that is new community. Now, for a lot of us, this is old news. You've heard us describe this wolf many different times, and you have already bought in. You're already on board with us. You're already tracking. You could say a lot of the things that we just communicated. For others, you're still a little undecided about our wolfness. Here is my encouragement to you. Life is too short to wander around and stay on the outside. You have too much capacity to do good in and through this church community or any church community just to be idle. We want you here, but more than that, we want you to be a part of the kingdom, to work as part of the kingdom. If the descriptions that we just laid out, the we sees uh, of Newcom, the things that we just talked about, if that wolf is one that you want to see move through the city of Spokane, if you believe our uniqueness positions us to do good, to affect change, to grow people, to empower, to model and live out authentic community, then we need to understand that the wolf needs to be fed. It needs to be fed with prayer and people and time and creativity and energy and resources. Now, both Russ and I have been very forthright with our dislike for talking about the needs of the church. Usually once a year around March in that kind of business, uh, business meeting of the year that time, we offer a thinly veiled State of the Union message appealing to the financial needs of new community. But oftentimes... We talk about those financial needs, but then spend the majority of our time asking for leaders because we both believe that everything rises and falls on leaders. If we have the leaders in place, we will be able to chase after these things. That same reality is still true. We need people to lean into the mission of new community. In fact, I'm confident that there are individuals, that there are couples here right now, that have spent most of their time at New Community simply as consumers and nothing else. My call to you is step in to a new role. Step in to a new role. It is time now for all of us to step up and lead. We need more group leaders. We need more people to love kids in the back. We need older men and women to mentor our college students. We need people who are willing to follow their passions, to risk And step out in faith and be the people of God in our city. Now, obviously the need doesn't stop just with leaders. There are financial needs as well. Last week about, or sorry, not last week, but five weeks ago we talked about the reality that whether we like it or not, money drives mission. The same is true in our place. The mission of new community is stewarded by people, not just staff not just elders, but by people, by us, by a family. But it's driven by money. If there are no resources, mission cannot move forward. So here is where I get specific. Our budget this year is $360,000. If we follow the trend that has been happening over the last 10 months, we will end about $40,000 short. We estimate that uh, in this room, or not in this room currently, but uh, within our community, we have about 200 giving units. That's a really terrible way to talk about people that give. So, <laughs> an individual uh, that is not married would be a giving unit, and then a couple would be a giving unit. So, again, not that we see people as units, but we're using a kind of a churchy language here. Uh, we estimated there are about 200 people that could give or 200 couples that could give to new community. To reach our $360,000 goal, our yearly budget, this means that every giving unit would give $1,800 a year or roughly $150 a month. If everybody wrote that check once a month, we would meet our budget, no problem. Now, we know that not everybody can write that check. We also know that there are many people that could write a far bigger check than that one. So each month we dip into our savings account to help cover our monthly uh, budget shortfall. Now the reality is, is if we do not make our budget by year's end, seriously, nothing will probably change. Everything will be exactly the same in January as it is right now. But if that trend continues over the course of the spring and into the summer, into next fall, we will have to have some harder conversations. And it's probably going to start with our inability to purchase coffee to have on (laughs) Sunday morning anymore. More than that, more importantly, obviously, we use that as a joke, although that is true. (laughs) 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 The bigger issue is that we would have to significantly reduce the ministry that can be done through this place. We would have to significantly reduce the ministry that can be done through this place. So... This message, what I'm getting at right now, why I am being specific, is not just a simple reminder to say, hey, if you haven't tithed in the last week or the last month or the last year or whatever, now's the time to do that. This is not even a capital campaign to make up the $40,000 that we're short this year. This message is about far more than that. It's about our future. As Russ said, we are not satisfied with just doing what we have been doing. We believe called, or we believe we have been called to be a certain type of wolf in this city, and in order to become that wolf, it needs to be fed. If you look across the spectrum of churches in America that are similar sizes, that are similar def- uh, demographics, we are significantly under resourced and therefore understaffed. We've been able to operate in that world because we run a pretty tight ship. It could be easy to look at our community and simply say, "Well." Uh, maybe that value of generosity just uh, isn't being heard by members. I actually don't think that's true at all. Some would say, well, let's, uh, let's look at maybe the population of the community and the fact that we have a lot of college students might play in to the reality that we're an under-resourced church. Yeah, that might be true. Here's what I think is actually more true. I think we are a part of a church that is incredibly generous. And for years, what we have said from the stage is take your resources and find ministries in Spokane and find ministries in the state of Washington and beyond. Find nonprofits, find missionaries, find people, find your neighbors, and give your money away. Support a missionary. Give to Young Life, give to YFC, give to Cup of Cool Water, give to Christ's Kitchen. We don't care where it is, but be generous and give your money. We have empowered people, I believe, to live incredibly generous lives outside of this church. There is beauty in this, and we celebrate this, but it also means that we have inadvertently diminished the needs of this community at times. If we believe New Community does good in the city, if we think Spokane and its people and its businesses and its nonprofits and its schools would miss New Community Church if we ceased to be then it, too, needs to be resourced for mission to continue to drive forward. The new community that we dream will never happen with a budget of $360,000. There is too much we dream of doing, too many creative and exciting things that we want to chase after. There are too many people ready to become leaders for our current staff to care for. We believe our budget needs to be over $400,000. This may seem like an incredible increase when we can't even make our current budget, but if you divide that number by the 200 people and the 12 months, it's an increase of about $50 a month per giving unit. For some, this means you increase your tithe by $50 a month. For others, it might mean for the first time you start giving $50 a month. But again, I will be bold here. There are many people who have the capacity to give well beyond $50, who call this place their home, who believe in the mission that's being done from this place, who benefit directly from the ministry of this place. And I think it's just a matter of whether or not you're ready to leverage your resources in this way.
1: So we say these things this morning, and some of you might hear like, oh no, we don't have money, we're in trouble, that's what we're talking about. No, it, what we want you to hear is more this. That what we believe God is calling and inviting us into requires, as described, resources to forward that mission. And it's not out of fear that we say these things, but rather out of hope, belief, excitement, energy, related to where we could be, right? We're just not satisfied with where we're at. We're dreaming of even more. And our hope is that you continue to dream with us. To understand that God wants to accomplish more in the city. In fact, there are many days that I wake up kind of with a pit in my stomach saying, man, what more could we do, right? That there's this like desire deep within, and I know it resonates with you, that you have that same desire to say, more can be done, more can be done, and God can empower us to do it. We want to conclude this morning by looking at a passage, and I know. We've uh, just done the entire message in reverse. Typically we look at a passage and then out of that are driven to these ideas. But we want to do it the opposite way because what we want to do is end with a significant section of Scripture that I think speaks to this idea of what Jesus is inviting us into. If you turn with me, turn to Luke chapter 9. It's also going to uh, be on the screen um, for those of you that didn't have your Bible this morning. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through the beginning of chapter 10, verse 2. We're going to look at that. And what I want to do this morning is not not um, like spend extensive amount of time breaking down the passage, but highlighting two or three ideas in the text in kind of more of a devotional way, which will enable us, I think, uh, as we enter into small group or as we have conversations or even as we do Our own personal study on this particular passage this week that it will uh, give us some ideas to think into. All right, at the beginning, in Luke chapter 9, it says this as they were going along the road, or excuse me, verse 51, chapter 9, verse 51, when the day drew near for him to be taken up to ascend to heaven, it says this, he set, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. I want to stop there for a minute. What the text is saying. is that He had a determined... some other texts will say that He determined to go to Jerusalem. Or that He resolved to go to Jerusalem. That He was uh, intent on it. Essentially what the text is saying is that Jesus, as He described throughout His ministry, had a purpose. He had a mission. He had goals. He had things He wanted to accomplish. He didn't come here just to relate to us. He came here to actually drive something forward. Very much the same way that we've been called, very much the same way that, in fact, he says in Luke um, that those of us that understand that he has been sent by God, and then he says, and so I also send you. The idea is that this determination, this resolution, this energy, this focus that he has right at the very beginning here of this passage has been passed on to us that it is our responsibility to carry that. The text goes on to say that He set His face to go to Jerusalem. He was determined. And He sent messengers ahead of Him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for Him. But the people did not receive Him because His face was set toward Jerusalem because He was determined again. And when His disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. It just blows me away that this is even in the text right here, right? Like, oh, these people don't really like us. you just want us to kill them? Uh, No. If you haven't figured out about peace yet, then uh, then take this as a reminder, okay? So Jesus kind of talks them off the ledge here. And then uh, verse 57. And they were going along the road, and someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Right? There's this sense that the people around him realized he was on mission and agreed to say, we'll go with you, we'll follow. And notice what he says right away after they tell him that they'll follow. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another he said, follow me. And, the Lord, and he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what he's communicating here in those three illustrations is quite simple. It's this, that any time you set out resolutely to do something, any time you've been invited and called into a mission that's far bigger than yourself, right, there are costs involved. And all through the Scriptures, all through the New Testament, anytime Jesus speaks to the idea of cost, He always speaks to the fact that you must deny yourself, you must take up your cross, you must follow Him. That there's a cost. That it requires us being willing to set aside our agenda, be willing to set aside our dreams for His dreams, be willing to say, you know what? What I'm doing is resolutely determined to follow you. And that's what he's calling for. And then he wraps up with this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He sent them out two by two. He sent them out in community. He didn't send them out alone. He didn't say, go as a kind of like a lone ranger and make this happen on your own. No, he sent them out together in community, and he said, do what I have been doing. And he finishes, or we're going to look at this part where he finishes in verse 2, and he says this The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What he's saying is that I'm determined about something. You've said you're following. And in this, the opportunities are vast. May we, as a community, lean into those opportunities as Christ has invited us into them. Let's pray. And then uh, we're going to take communion this morning. We're going to continue worshiping um, by just acknowledging Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. And, uh, and we want you this morning to view that as a, as a means of. Um, recognizing that God has granted this access to him. He's granted this opportunity for us to live into what he's invited us to do. Let's pray.